Freedom in Christ is our theme for this year. It's a big theme. We could uh, stay on it for a number of years probably. Uh, but we're trying this year to look at some of the things that we may not uh, consciously think of all the time that we're free uh, about, free in Christ, free from things. Uh, hopefully we get a much better grasp on freedom this year. Uh, we're working on our second series, Free from Sin. Uh, we started with one about uh, free from debt, uh, kind of a physical, earthly thing, and this is more of a spiritual, eternal thing, uh, but it also makes life on earth a whole lot better, being free from sin. Last week, we talked about the best plan ever. Now, uh, I don't want to recap the whole thing, but we started out by looking and seeing our situation. We saw our situation that we're sinners, all sinners. Romans 3.23, very clear, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, big sinners, little sinners, you list them, you name them, whatever, get in order, worst sinner to least sinner, we're still all sinners. Uh, we learned that God's nature is perfect in every way. It's perfectly balanced is the way we looked at his nature and spent a couple of weeks doing that. He's so holy... And that holiness works itself out in perfect justice and perfect wrath against sin. He's so holy that he can't have sin in his presence. So since we're all sinners, that's bad news. But the other part of his nature that balances that is he's so loving, which works itself out in his patience and his mercy. He's so loving that he wants to have a relationship with us. Sin keeps us apart. Sin separates us. That's how it started at the very beginning. Adam and Eve and God had a perfect relationship. They walked in the garden every day. They, they communicated. Everything was fine. And then sin came into the picture and separated them. His nature makes him want to have a relationship with us. Now, to do that, he needed a plan. So we saw how God prepared for the plan. By teaching his people that sin demands death. The wages of sin is death. And he talked about uh, and showed all through the Old Testament the power of blood. He told them the life of the creature is in the blood. And I give you the creature to make atonement for your, one's life. And growing up in that culture, the connection between sin and death and blood and all that was very, very present. It was an everyday thing. After we saw that preparation, that, that blood and, and blood and, and more blood forestalled God's wrath. It put it off for another year. The scapegoat took their sins off into the desert. The, the priest put the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation blood on, on the mercy seat. And we talked about all that. Until just the right time. And then Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, complete, completed the plan. And we talked about how that all worked together. The plan that he would, Jesus was the propitiation. He was the atoning sacrifice. Because he was the perfect lamb, the only one that could pay the price. 
When he paid that price, it allowed Jesus, God in his perfect justice to justify us because the price had been paid. And Jesus redeemed us from sin. He bought us back from the slavery that we were in. And we, we put all that plan together and understood that that's the best plan ever. We finished talking about that by reading six verses in Romans chapter 3 where, where Paul summarized all of this. He said in verse 21, But now, a righteousness from God, compared to the old ways of trying to get righteousness, all of our ideas of trying to get righteousness, when we can't because sin separates us from God. Paul said, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. Paul went on in verse 22, said, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Well, that's kind of where we left it last week. We talked a whole lot about the plan, and the plan was good news. Uh, We praised the plan. We rejoiced at the plan. Those of us who have accepted the free gift provided by that plan, hopefully we appreciated it even more after talking about it. But we didn't go beyond that. And there's some folks here, I imagine, who don't really understand how the plan works beyond that. I mean, the plan's an astonishing thing. But what about how do we implement that? How how do we avail ourselves of the plan? What about forward, going forward? What about the rest of our life? How does this plan really work in our life? We left some questions unanswered. We didn't complete everything. That's why we need a series to talk about some of these things instead of just one sermon. There's just too much to cover. So we understand the plan now. Today, let's see if we can answer some of the questions. We're going to talk about, uh, it's a lifetime guarantee. Sometimes we focus a whole lot on that initial forgiveness of sins and don't talk about the rest of life. This is a lifetime guarantee. The plan's fantastic, but what do we do about it? So let's start there and answer just a few real basic questions. The first question, somebody might ask, well, how do we claim this freedom from sin? Okay, Jesus paid the price. He was the propitiation. That allowed God to justify. That redeems us. What what do we got to do? How do we claim that? Well, Paul explained that. Romans 3.22, through faith, he said. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In is a very important word in there. Let's take just a little time out here for vocabulary class. Some people get confused about this. They read what Paul said there, through faith, okay. I believe that Jesus paid the price. You notice it doesn't say, I believe that Jesus. It doesn't say it comes through faith that Jesus paid the price. That's because there's two different words. Paul makes it very clear which word he's using. 
Faith, belief can mean a couple of different things. We can have faith and belief that something is true. A faith of assent. Almost everybody believes that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that he was the Son of God. Paul said this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a trusting kind of faith. When you put your trust in someone, in something, that's what Paul's talking about. If we believe in somebody, then we'll obey. We'll do whatever they say. Okay, that's the word that Paul uses. Now, the best way to illustrate this, a little later in Romans, Paul says almost exactly the same thing, but he switches words. He doesn't talk about faith in this passage. We're going to read Romans 6. He doesn't talk about faith or belief. He talks about baptism. And some people say, well, you don't need to be baptized. That doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, to Paul, it's the same thing. If you trust in Jesus, you'll do what Jesus said. The last thing Jesus said before he left earth was, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay? So in Romans 6, he just switches words. Listen to this. He says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ? Well, Paul, I thought faith got us this salvation. Well, it does. Obedient, trusting, faith, trust in Jesus. He said, be baptized. So we do that. And that puts us in Christ Jesus. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. How do you get in Christ? How do you get a new life? Well, in this passage, Paul says you're baptized into it. A couple of chapters earlier, he said it's through faith. Same thing to him. Obedient faith. He understands that. There's no such thing as an unbaptized Christian in the New Testament. Can't find one. Doesn't exist. We receive the benefits of this plan that we talked about through faith. We act that faith out in baptism. All right, question number two. When do we receive freedom from sin? Well, quick answer. You already got it. In baptism. Another verse we're going to look at. Colossians 2 in just a moment. When do we receive it? In baptism. We can point to that time. An old southern gospel song says that, doesn't it? I can tell you now the time. I can take you to the place where the Lord saved me by his wonderful grace. It happens at a certain point. It's not a hazy thing about, I think I started believing in him about then or the. No, it's an act. You, you, you obey in baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. In baptism, you were buried with him and raised with him. Through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. That's when it happens. In baptism, some people get confused about it. It's very clear. 
in baptism is when Jesus applies that blood that redeems us. At baptism is when the Father does his justifying work. At baptism is when the Holy Spirit does his regenerating work, his washing of our spirit. That all happens at baptism. Which brings up a third question, question number three. Well, what do we receive? If we're going to avail ourselves of this plan, what do we get? Well, simple answer, Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit. Then we can read a number of other verses through the New Testament. I picked out four or five of them. We get a new life. Romans 6, 4, we already read that. Titus 3, 5, that says when we're regenerated, that's when we're uh, renewed. 1 Peter 1, 3, it's called a new birth. We become a new creature. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 said that the Corinthians, and it lists before this all the horrible things they used to do. They used to be in sin. They were separated from God. But Paul says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. All of that happened at baptism. Okay. We got it. Uh, Baptism is when the new life starts. At baptism, we're freed from all of the past sins that we've ever committed. And at this point, people ask another question. People call in to know your Bible and say, well, if you sin after you're baptized, do you have to be baptized again? That's a logical question. Question number four, what about the rest of your life? We understand now how we avail ourselves of the plan. What happens, when it happens, how it happens. We got all that, but but what about the rest of our life? You've heard people say, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. Nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Well, is that true or not? Let's talk about the rest of our life. Let's see if we got a lifetime guarantee or not. Colossians 1, 22, 23. Turn over there. I gave you just a piece of it on here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Okay, Paul's talking about this subject we're talking about. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Yeah, that's the sacrificial atonement, all of that we talked about. He's reconciled you to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Okay? Go back to our picture of being separated from God. When we're sinners, he can't stand to be in our presence. We've been reconciled. We are presented wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation because we're covered with that atoning blood. But listen to what Paul says next. If you continue in your faith. 
established and firm, not moved from the hope held out by the gospel. If you continue in your faith. And some people want to make that really hard. They want to make a whole list of things that you got to do and you got to believe and you got to act like and you got to score these points to continue in your faith. It isn't that hard, folks. Let me ask you a very simple question. What saved you? That's what Paul asked the Galatians. He said, what saved you in the first place? Well, the answer is, my faith in Jesus' atoning work on the cross. That's what saved me. Nothing I did. Nothing I believed. No way I acted. But when I put my faith in Jesus' atoning work on the cross, that saved me. We've just been through all that. Well, let me change the question just a little bit. What will keep you saved? Paul answers it right there. Same thing. Your faith in Jesus' atoning work on the cross. If you continue in your faith. If you keep believing that. If you keep believing that. If you continue established and firm. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. That's what we believe in. The truth of the gospel. People still want to make lists. They still want to make tests. They still want to do something to make sure that we're still saved. It's not that hard, folks. First John helps us understand. First John is where we find the lifetime guarantee. Oh, we find it a lot of other places. John just makes it simple. You can read all the Romans and you can figure out the lifetime guarantee. But Paul makes it a little complicated sometimes. John, pretty simple here. That's our passage for the day. We have had it read to us already. It's got the lifetime guarantee in it. Now, I'm going to ask you just to tune in here. I'm not going to have any pictures or slides or anything. I just want you to tune in to 1 John. In fact, turn over to 1 John. And listen to John and me for a few minutes. Okay? John's going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to try to amplify it and illustrate it just a little bit. He doesn't need much help at all. But, but I'm going to try anyway. So that's what we're doing here. We're trying to figure out how about the rest of our life. Do Christians sin? I mean, we're talking about sin. Somebody called in and said, if you sin after you're baptized. Well, does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, people sin after they're baptized. Now, John explains it. He said, he said Christians don't keep living in sin. We don't live a lifestyle of sin. When you become a Christian, your lifestyle changes, but we still sin. Look at chapter 2, 1 John 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. Now, that's the ideal. I wish you wouldn't sin. I hope you don't sin. But, <laughs> if anybody does sin, 
We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You get it? John says, I wish you wouldn't sin. I, I wish no Christian would ever sin. Man, that'd be great. But we do. And when we do, what takes care of it? Jesus Christ is our advocate. His blood is the atoning sacrifice. You say, well, that's what saved me initially. You're getting it. It's the way this works. That's why it's the best plan ever. I told you most of it last week. Now I'm explaining the lifetime guarantee. And I know I sound a little bit like those salesmen on TV. Now if you just call in, not only do you get this, we'll send you an extra one. You know, we'll send you this, we'll send you that. That's not what I want to sound like, but it just gets, keeping, keeps getting better. The ideal is that we don't sin, but if we do, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Now just in case, John makes it clear, verse 8 of chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we sin. We sin after baptism. Now, let's think just a little bit about that. Why do we sin? Why do Christians sin in life? Well, I can think of at least three reasons. One is sometimes we sin in ignorance. Do you ever sin when you didn't know it, it was a sin? You say, well, if you can't think of one, then you're, you hadn't learned anything. Uh, Once you become a Christian, you're supposed to start learning, growing up in Christ, learning about His will and all that. And so as you do, as you study your Bible or as you listen to sermons or you sit in class, sometimes something will happen or you'll read a verse or somebody will say something and you'll say, whoa, I didn't know that was a sin. And people that come from deeper down in the world and more and more sin, have more of that happen. I didn't know that was wrong. So sometimes we sin just out of ignorance. We don't know it's wrong. Sometimes we sin out of ignorance. It's kind of the reverse of it. Uh, We think it's wrong when it isn't. Now that's sin. That's a conscience that has been told something wrong. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, and Paul says it's sin. If somebody convinces you that doing this or or saying that or going here or something is a sin, and it bothers your conscience to do it, then it is a sin for you to do it. But that doesn't mean it's a sin in, in God's sight. So sometimes just out of ignorance, we do it wrong one way or the other. Now hold on to that one. Sometimes we sin out of weakness. We ever sin where you wrestle with something? You say, I know I shouldn't do that. But you convince yourself, you rationalize it, somebody else pulls you the wrong way, you listen to the wrong temptation kind of person, and you do it, and you feel miserable. You're immediately sorry you did it. You knew it was wrong when you did it. We, we do that. We sent out a weakness. Thirdly, sometimes we sin just rebelliously. 
We shouldn't, but we do. Sometimes we say, well, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know God would rather me do this. I know I ought to do that. But I don't want to. Okay? We, we sin that way sometimes. Sounds ugly to say it, but we do. Okay. Now, let's take all three of those different options and think about how God takes care of our sin. What's he do with it? How does he deal with this? Okay, First John 1, 9. He's just said, if we claim we don't sin, we're lying. We do sin. Then verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, there's option one. If we sin, we should confess that we sin. You may have figured this out. To do this, you're going to have to know you sinned. So if you send out of ignorance, this one's going to be hard. Okay? If you did something out of ignorance and learned a week later or a month later or ten years later that that's wrong, at that point you can say, whoa, I didn't know that was wrong. I'm sorry, God, I shouldn't have done that. But there may be 10 years span in there. Understand the problem there? If we know that we sinned, if it's because of weakness, and I just said, we know as soon as we did it. Well, we ought to confess that. And that means agree with God, this is wrong. I did it, it was wrong, I'm sorry. If I involved anybody else or the church family, I'm going to go tell them that I'm sorry. But I'll confess. I'll agree with God that it's wrong. Okay? The other problem with this concept that every time I sin, i got to confess, the first problem is that we can't always do that because we're ignorant sometimes. The second problem is that makes for a very nervous life. Uh, that makes us real schizophrenic. That we're, we're jumping around and we're, i got to keep track of my sins. So every time I do one, i got to confess. And the only way God will forgive them is if I confess. So i got to keep track and i got to do it immediately. I mean, think through the consequences. If you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you say some ugly things to them... And then you get caught up in driving and all that, and you forget to confess for a few blocks. What if somebody T-bones you at the next intersection and you die? You didn't get your confession in. See, that makes you real nervous if you think that way about it. Let's look at one other thing John says that may help us with this. Now, I'm saying, if you sin and you know you sin, you ought to confess it. But there's times when you can't. There's times when we, we don't. We don't think about it until later. There's all sorts of situations. And look at 1 John 1, 7. John says, and he's just said that we ought to confess. And then he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light... 
as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from every sin. And on your handout, I put in there one word, the blood of Jesus continually purifies us from every sin. Because that's the Greek word that's in there. It doesn't mean purifies once and done. It's an ongoing action. It's continually purifying. The blood of Jesus continually purifies. Some of you may be thinking that you heard some young man this morning during the Lord's Supper say, by one offering, by one sacrifice, what did he do? He perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He perfected for all time. The blood of Jesus continually cleanses. Yes, it cleanses initially in baptism. That's when the Holy Spirit does the regenerating and the washing and all of that. But the blood of Jesus, it's powerful stuff. That's why people write songs about there is power in the blood. It continually cleanses. Okay? I've used this illustration a hundred times, but I always think of windshield wipers. When it's raining outside, you can get out and wipe your windshield off and get back in, and guess what? It'll be wet again. Okay? That's why they invented these things called wipers. That They continually cleanse it. You go down the street and the rain keeps falling on it, and every time a drop hits, the wiper continually cleanses it. Okay? That's the word Paul, John uses here. It continually cleanses, purifies us from every sin. Think about all the things John said. If we do sin, we've got an advocate. When we sin, right before we recognize it or confess it, what's Jesus say? Got this one covered, Father. I'm the advocate for this. My blood's taking care of that one. And that makes life a whole lot less nervous because you understand that, okay, if I sin out of ignorance or if I don't confess right then or all that, the blood of Jesus takes care of it anyway. It's a lifetime guarantee. I know that makes some of you nervous. It sounds so much like grace that it's scary. That's what grace is. It's good news. Now, some of you are looking for an out here. You say, well, hold it now. He said if we walk in the light. Well, what if, what, what if you don't walk in the light? Well, then you're in trouble if you don't walk in the light. Well, what's walking in the light? Aha, that's what you really want to know. What's walking in the light? Well, we already answered it, folks. Remember Colossians 1.23? What did Paul say was the condition? to being free from accusation, to being holy in his sight. What did he say? If you continue in your faith, if you continue to trust in the hope of the gospel, if you continue to put your trust in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, you're walking in the light. Paul explains it 
a little bit stronger in Romans chapter 8. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. We'll finish with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sounds amazingly like grace again, doesn't it? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ continually purifies us from every sin. No condemnation. And then what Paul starts talking about down in verse 5 is he says there's two lifestyles. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now that's about as simple and as easy as I can explain walking in the light. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ, if you're walking in the light, because the blood of Jesus Christ continually purifies. But Paul explains there's two lifestyles. And one lifestyle puts your faith in the atoning work of Christ. It has a mind set on spiritual things. I want to be more like Christ. I want to go to heaven. I want to learn more about it. I want to be his follower. That's where my mind is set. And Paul says the other mindset is set on natural things. I want what the world has to offer. I'm interested in material things. I'm interested in pleasing me. I'm interested in my ego. I'm interested in my power. I'm interested in all those things. Paul says those are two complete different lifestyles. And John says if you're walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ continually purifies you from every sin. Now, we already talked about Christian sinning. They're going this way. They're walking in the light, but they stumble every once in a while. They get off track every once in a while. They focus on something wrong for a while. And when they realize that, they get back on track. They're walking in the light. Now, I admit it's possible. People in the Bible did it. A guy named Demas did it. He was walking in the light. He was a follower with Paul, and he got off track a little bit for some reason. And he looked over his shoulder at some of the things in the world. And he thought, that looks pretty good to me. And it's, Paul, what? Well, this, Paul said, he left me. He decided that he liked that better. So he started walking that way. Okay. Now, the conclusion is, at some point, and I can't tell you where it is, but at some point, the blood doesn't continually purify you from every sin. Put it another way. At some point, you stop walking in the light. I can't tell you where that is. I can't tell you how many degrees you get off. I mean, it's obvious when you get 180 degrees off and you're walking this way and you're not, you don't have your mind set on any of that anymore. Then it's obvious. 
But in there, I can't just tell you exactly when it happens. God knows that. And I think you know that. I think you know when you change your mindset. But Paul said, Demas left me. He decided he liked the world better. At some point, Hebrews 10.26 verifies that, by the way. Hebrews 10.26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we just deliberately make up our mind we're going to go the other way, then there remains no sacrifice for sin. Blood's not effective anymore. Why? Because you, you, you didn't go to church enough times or you didn't do this or you didn't do that? No, because you quit putting your faith in Him. You're free from accusation if you continue in your faith, if you continue hoping in the gospel. When you quit that, there's no more sacrifice for sin. John explains it pretty well, doesn't he? He knows we sin. He knows when we realize it, we ought to confess it. He knows that the blood of Jesus Christ is taking care of it, even if we don't recognize we sin. As long as we're heading the right direction, as long as we're trying, as long as we're walking in the light, the blood of Jesus is taking care of it. Lifetime guarantee. Hopefully, the guarantee means a little bit more to you now. Hopefully, the best plan ever sounds even better to you. Next week, we're going to talk about help in the battle. See, this sin problem is a problem. It's a battle. And not only does he free us from it, not only does he purify us from the results of it, all of that, but he helps us fight the battle. Last piece of good news for us is help in the battle. We'll cover that next week. We've talked about some real basic things this morning, folks. Difference between life and death. We talked about being in Christ or out of Christ. And I don't know your relationship with God. You may be one who is still separated by sin. You're in that position where you're living a sinful lifestyle and you're in that other room from God and you're scared to go in there. You don't want to face His wrath. Or you may be one that's availed yourself of the best plan ever and feel that you're free from accusation and the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing you. I don't know what side you're on. I'd ask you. I'd ask you where you stand because that's an important question. you need help answering that, we're going to sing a song that I think will help you answer it. You pay attention to the three verses of this song, and I think you can answer the question very quickly. The first one asks you, it's really about how things are going in life. It says, sometimes there's peace like a river attending my way, and sometimes sorrows like sea billows roll. It says, whatever my lot, if I'm in Christ, I can say, it's well. It's well with my soul. So if you can say that about your life, you're probably in the right place.
The third verse asks you about, are you ready for him to come back? It says, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. When the trumpet sounds and when the Lord descends. When that happens, I can say, it's well. This is going to be good. If you can't say that, if you're afraid of him coming back, if you're not ready to say it's well, then you're probably going the wrong direction. Second verse is the key one. It's about what we're talking about today in all this series. It says, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole. He's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It's well. If you can say that about your sin, you're probably going the right direction. If you're not, you may need to respond and claim the best plan ever. If you need to come, come. Let's stand and sing.